Do our guests want to come up? Is that okay? Should we give them a, an applause? I'm, I'm Patrick Mayfield. I used to be a Baptist, <laughs> uh, among other things. Uh, I'm 67, married to Felicity, and uh, I've been a member of Eastgate for 18 months. My name is Sasha. I never was a Baptist. Um, I'm not going to tell you my age. <laughs> I've been around uh, Eastgate for about um, five years. Oh, it's going to be six in July. I'm Naomi. Um, I am 22. And uh, <laughs> I am also not a Baptist. <laughs> um, uh, I'm from the Faroe Islands, though. Um, and uh, I have been a part of Eastgate for about coming up to yeah, two and a half years, sort of. Yeah. So... I'll stay with you for a minute. Mm-hmm. So, just to go off piece already. So you come from a very beautiful island in the Faroes called Sandoy, don't you? Yes, I do. And it's, it's very beautiful. It's also very remote because yeah. we've been there, so we know that. Yeah. We've seen your house and yeah. met your parents, but you weren't there. But <laughs> Creepy, huh? <laughs> so, tell, tell us a little bit what the island's like because yeah. a lot of people probably won't have been. So. Yeah, so um, I come from a village on this island with 400 people. Um, and on the island itself, it's uh, 1,200 people living there. It's, like you said, very remote, very rural, and uh, everyone pretty much knows each other, which can be a good thing and a not-so-good thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very beautiful place. It's very kind of... Um, the na- nature is really beautiful there and like, beautiful people. Just if you haven't been to Sandor, you have to fly to Copenhagen for two hours. Then you fly from Copenhagen to the Faroe Islands for another hour and a half. And then you have to get a, you have to drive across an island for an hour. And then you get a ferry for 45 minutes. And you, you, you come to this very small island, and it feels like the edge of the world, not in a bad way. <laughs> and there's these massive cliffs at one end, and it feels like if you walk up those, you don't know what's going to be at the other end, yeah. as if the, as if the world's got flat and you're going to fall off the end. But it is incredibly beautiful. Yeah with no noise pollution or anything else, isn't it? Mm. It's great. So, um, so I think we're going to start with Sasha, if that's all right. Um, I'm 46. <laughs> <laughs> just, just for the record. <laughs> she just felt compelled to come clean there. Well done. <laughs> okay, so, Sasha, how did you become a Christian? Sat in my car, minding my own business, and God met me in my car. That, that would be the, the sort of basics of it. Uh, in the lead-up to that, uh, some life circumstances had caused me to ask some questions, um, but I pretty much had decided that God was an impersonal force. I'd always believed that we were created as such. I didn't believe it was an accident, um, but I, I didn't have the relational aspect going on. Grew up uh, going to church, sung in the church choir, liked the singing but didn't do much else, wasn't involved with much else, particularly interested in much else regards to... Uh, faith and uh, yeah so sat in my car um, having been involved in an incident uh, uh, I I was in the ambulance service uh, and wanting to find a quiet place and God spoke to me through uh, a sentence one sentence that a nine-year-old girl wrote on some flowers that were left at the scene of an an accident which said uh, me my sister my mother we're praying for you um, that God would heal you and bless you Thought my God would heal you and bless you. 
Those two words, my God, from a nine-year-old child. And I had an instant moment where I knew that everything that anyone had ever told me about Jesus was true. Everything that I'd mocked people about and, and taken the mickey for, and I used to do that quite, quite well, I knew it was true. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I, was, I literally had an encounter with God in my car, and I, I just said, Jesus, I thank you. I believe what you say is true. Thank you for dying for me. Um, and I, I want that life that you have to offer for me, words to that effect. I didn't have any Christianese at the time. So uh, basically that was it. And I felt a weight lifting off my shoulders. I felt a washing machine going on in my stomach, which I obviously now know is the, my spirit coming alive to him. And, and that was how it happened. So you, that's an amazing story. So you said at the beginning you didn't have a relational thing going on. Could you explain what you meant by that? Yeah, it's quite simple. I, 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 I didn't believe that the world happened by accident. You only have to look at creation to realize there is something behind that. I wouldn't have said a someone. Um, and so my, my attitude was, well, a some impersonal force set it all in motion and then stepped away and said, there you go, get on with it. Um, and there's different thinking around that, but that, that was the basics of it. So are you saying you can know God then yourself? Can right? I know God myself? Yeah, I am that, saying that you can you know are, God yourself, yeah, yes. That's what I think you're saying. You can. Did that surprise you when that happened? Is that what you expected? Well, I wasn't going looking for him. Um, I was going to find a quiet place to think about what had happened. Uh, I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't searching for God as such. I would say, looking back over a period of a year or so, you can then look back at things that had happened, there was one moment in my life where I actually said, okay, then if you're real, show me. If you're real, help me. Uh, and that was a couple of years before. Um, but I then wasn't on a quest to discover God. He was chasing me down. He was pursuing me. Um, I just didn't know it. And uh, in that moment in that car, he, he found me, broke into my car without so much to buy your leave. <laughs> I know. I was listening to you saying the weight lifted off. I was thinking, she had a weight lifter in the car as well. I thought you were alone. I don't know how to explain that feeling, and, and, but except that if you could imagine the entire weight of the world and double it and triple it, that you, doesn't even go to explain what it was that I felt physically lifting off me. And then this feeling of life coming into me. And that was the spirit being born again. Another so, happy clappy. You are somebody who loves the presence of God. Tell us about that session. <laughs> I spent 11 years as a Christian doing and desperate for something and I didn't know what it was. And then I met someone who started to talk about the kingdom of heaven and started talking about a reality of the things that we could experience and expect to see happen. And I had to change the way that I thought. I, I got to a stage where I said, I just simply choose to believe what you say is true. And I started on a path and I started, I was involved in worship in my previous church and there were moments in worship where it felt like I was touching something but I didn't know what it was. I started to play guitar because I wanted to sit in my room and worship because I loved to worship, but I didn't have the language for it then as such because it wasn't something that was spoken about. But I knew that in those moments I was touching something, but I, I, I couldn't quite grasp it. Um, and so presence for me is him, it goes without saying. And if, if, I'm, if I'm at a place or in a situation now where I don't sense that, 
Or at least if you don't have that, then what's the point? That's, that for me is, is we can do really good stuff. We can go do amazing things. And that is beautiful in Christianity. There's aspects of that within Christianity, which is beautiful. But what about the stuff that we can't do without him? You can't heal anybody. You can't raise the dead. You, you can't do that stuff. You can't see families restored in a supernatural way like we saw this morning. I'll talk about that. But presence for me is, is a bit like with Moses. You know, it's like, great, send an angel. But if we don't have you, then effectively what is there to distinguish us from the rest of the world? And so presence is him. It's... <laughs> it's not just the external reality of what you feel in an atmosphere, but it's who you are and what you carry and who you carry. So that at any given moment you can sit and you can literally just in two seconds be aware, consciously aware of who it is that's in you. And that who is in you is leaking out of you and affecting people around you. So, so when I wake up most mornings, I feel the presence of God. How do you feel it? How do you experience it? Pleasure. Uh, really going on a journey on that one at the moment, actually. Um, because pleasure involves emotions and involves feelings. And when you feel the pleasure in something, you can feel your, your sort of heart swell. And there are, there is occasions when it doesn't matter you're doing much. It's just exactly what you say. You can wake up and you just get this overriding sense of the love of God and the pleasure of God. It's this thrill. This, you just know that he is pleased with you and you have done nothing. You've just woken up. Um, I mean, practically, you know, yeah, you, you can feel tingling and you can feel heat and you can... There's, there's all of the sort of physical manifestations. But interestingly for me, it's more a case of when you're not feeling that, how aware are we of the fact that he is present? So, yeah. So, you mentioned leaking. So, what does that, what does that look like? And you also talked about how we can heal people, or how God can heal people. <laughs> it's, not, it's not talking about leaking water. Back to Patrick the Baptist. <laughs> uh, so, um, God said to me once, the signature of heaven is love. And I was pondering that. And, uh, and I just kind of turned around and said, okay, then, then let my life be the pen. And... So that effectively, I've, I've explained this in the past, that we're like pens in his hand and it's the ink of his love, his goodness that's within us, it's his presence within us that basically gets signed on people's lives and on situations like this indelible ink of his love. And you don't have to do anything for that to happen. Paul, with, his, with the apron, he didn't go with the apron. <laughs> what was present in him and on him went with the apron. Um, and so, for me, practically, that looks like hugging someone the other day and their, their ankle getting, sorry, their knee getting better. I didn't know they had a knee problem. And um, it was only because they were checking their knee out afterwards like this, and they mentioned that it was getting better. It looks like a colleague who um, had some issues, some issues around bleeding, who, who'd asked, said about praying for her, but then when it came to it, she said, but you've done it already, haven't you? Uh, and she said that whenever I'm around you, I just feel this peace. Um, it looks like someone coming into uh, the, the place where I'm working and they're in pain and them going, oh, well, I feel better now and walking out and me sort of looking at it thinking, uh, I didn't do a thing. Um, it looks like 
<laughs> it looks like people, actually it's really fun actually sometimes just paying attention to what happens to people around you when they're around you. Um, it looks like going into different situations where there's strife and watching the peace just come into a situation because you're there, because we're there. Um, gosh, I, it just, <laughs> I, I, my, my thing is like you don't actually need to lay hands on someone to see them healed. Um, just speak the word, not even needing to do that, just to be present and be consciously aware. It's that whole thing of just being more and more consciously aware of what it is that we carry and then watch out for the signs and, and grow and learn and just enjoy the experimentation because he's, really, he's really good and he loves experimenting. So, yeah. So you referred to a Bible in the story about Paul and his aprons. Could you tell us that story? Everybody might not be familiar with that. Just give a, a summary yeah, sure. of that. Well, it came out of me asking God a question because um, I, was, I was thinking about how does a shadow heal someone? How does a piece of cloth heal someone? How does that work? And I asked God practical questions. How does that work? Um, and actually, the, the, basically what was happening is Paul was uh, working and he was at the same time preaching the gospel and going around to the places that he, he preached the gospel to and just doing the whole thing that Paul did. Um, and whilst he was working, the sweat from his body would obviously soak into these aprons. Um, so they came and basically what was happening is the aprons that he was wearing, they would take and people would be healed by coming into contact with the apron. Similarly, Peter and John, they're, they're wandering up to the temple and there's someone there that's uh, basically he's begging and he asks them for money, and, uh, and they turn around and say, look, we haven't got money, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. And they knew what they had to give away. Um, so, yeah, it's all of that sort of stuff, really. So it sounds like you've kind of had a, a journey of getting to that place. How would you say you, you have got there, and what have you kind of cultivated and fostered in your life to kind of get to the point where you are now around that stuff um, I'm quite a I think I'm quite, I think I'm quite a logical thinker so um, I kind of like an answer and what I realised was that actually you're going to have to deal with mystery and mystery is part of the kingdom and it's beautiful and actually if you want answers to everything then um, life's going to be pretty frustrating but life is beautiful and glorious in the kingdom because of mystery um, and so, uh, for example, I, I, I was part of the um, uh, day school. We have a day school here, Super School of Supernatural Spiritual Life. And we should be learning what it is to bring the kingdom into the everyday. It's part of that, who we are, our identity. And there are people around you who carry these amazing gifts. You know, some people are able to see clearly in the unseen realm. Um, some of us are able to feel. We have lots of different ways that we can sense what's going on. And I looked at those folk and I was like, oh, why can't I do that? Initially, to be honest, it was like, oh, I, want to really, I really want to do that. I think, well, like God's, God's kind of not going to give you a snake if you ask for bread and all the rest of it. So I figured he's really good and that it doesn't have to look the same, but it's there and available. So what I used to do, and I still do it to diff- in a different sort of way, is I would sit down there and I'd have a bit of pad with me and I'd draw the auditorium. And on a Thursday and Friday, we have worship first thing in the morning of school. And I would just look around the room and draw on the pad what it was that I felt that I could see. 
And then I would go to someone that I knew that was able to see in a particular way. And I wouldn't prime them. I'd just say, hey, um, earlier on in worship, what was it you were sensing? And they would say, well, this was going on over there. And I'd go, oh, tick. This was going on my little pad. And then one day, I'd drawn this strange round thing with things coming off it. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was golden and sort of fiery and... And they said, and over there, there was a portal. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> a portal. Now, that's a strange word, but basically what it means is there's the seen and the unseen realm. And we, the issue for us is that the unseen realm is actually to be more real to us than the physical realm. But often we've been so used to the physical is everything. And that a portal, it's a, it's a gateway. It's basically an entranceway into the unseen realm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's just developing that and developing the other aspect of, um, in, in terms of praying for people, for healing and other things, is just taking steps beyond where you've been comfortable. Um, knowing who we are, what we have, who's in us, and the fact that he has already said yes, because everything is yes in, 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 yes in amen, we utter our amen in Christ Jesus. So it's like when Jesus was feeding, they were feeding the four or five thousand, it said that Jesus looked to heaven. When I realize that when you look at it, it says he looked into the midst of. Jesus was effectively seeing into a realm that he was living in and from and seeing what was already available and was just simply just saying yes and thank you and just bringing it into the, into the now. Mm-hmm. So for me now in terms of uh, just pushing on in areas, quite frequently now it's a case of it happened the other day. I saw I could see God healing someone's feet. I don't know how to explain it. I just could see presence. I could see something on their feet. I knew in my Noah that God was healing their feet. So I spoke to them. They hadn't come for that issue, but they'd had a long-standing problem with their feet. And I just said, God is healing your feet right now. And sure enough, the, the pain was amazing. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. So, when, so when, you see, when you use the term portal, I've probably watched too many science fiction films. <laughs> <laughs> I think of a portal of someone would go through it and they'd go somewhere else. But you're meaning that in a different way, aren't you? You're, you're, I think what you're saying is, is that the reality of heaven can come through a portal and touch us. If it, is that? Yeah, I was, I was quite disturbed at the word portal um, <laughs> in the past. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I exactly that. I would look at You hear a thing like thin places. Um, it's a place where at that time, moment in time, the activity of heaven was entering into, if you like, into this realm in a greater measure. And, um, yeah. Sometimes it happens almost like in specific places. He's, he's generally everywhere. He is everywhere. There's nowhere that he is not. And then there are times when you can go to different parts of a room if you're a feeling. You can just sense presence, whether it be angelic or, or otherwise. It's, it's that that you're, you're sensing. And actually to know that, then if he is, he is present, then if he is present, all of heaven is present. Therefore, healing, provision, and everything else that you get in heaven is manifest here on earth in that moment, in that place. And it's just touching that aspect of his presence right there. So you have shared before that um, you have had your own diagnosis of a, a, a long-term condition. How do you marry up the fact that you live with that on a daily basis and yet it's your passion and your experience of seeing other people healed all the time? How, how do you kind of live in that, that place? God is good, and no diagnosis and no circumstances changes who God, who, who God says he is. If they can, then God is not God. 
God cannot be anything but good because he says he is good. And therefore, um, I have a diagnosis of MS. That diagnosis was confirmed in 2017. Won't go into all of the details. I'm well. But when I had the, the diagnosis, we spoke about this a little while ago, I, I sat there and had the news, and that wasn't good news. I wasn't happy. I was confused. It, 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 was, it was not a great thing to have told you. not great to be told that you have this news. Um, I did what you would expect. You know, I cried. <laughs> uh, but I walked out of the hospital, and this is almost like where the rubber hits the road. We can have the things that we say that we believe. But when we come across and face situations, what we really believe to be true comes out. And I heard myself saying, but God, you are good. This does not change who you are. The circumstance doesn't change the prophetic words and the promises over my life. There are general promises and there are the prophetic words that are unique to ourselves. And that does not change. It cannot change. No circumstance that the energy doesn't come from heaven. You know, none of this comes from heaven. If you have a theology that says that God would give you sickness to make you behave better, or maybe it's God's will, or maybe it's not God's will, then you cannot then marry that up with the goodness of God. You, you, it's impossible to sit in those two places. So mystery sits really well in that place. And mystery is glorious. Because you get to experiment and you get to delve further into the reality of who God is. In that moment, I needed comfort, but at the same time, for example, how do you deal with it? I had to go to King's, and I went with a friend, Val Benfield. And we went on our way, and we said, do you know what? The enemy is really stupid. Because where is the last place you would want someone to be who absolutely knows that God is good and that sickness comes from the devil and healing is God's will, but put them in a hospital where they're going to be confronted with sick people? I work in the, for the NHS, which is hilarious. Um, and not that I work for the NHS, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Just my thinking. And, and, and so all that will happen is you will enter, we enter into a place where darkness is trying to push in. And as soon as light comes into a place of darkness, darkness has to dispel. And so for me, um, I, yes, I have a diagnosis. I'm well. Um, and I will still remain, I still have prayer. Um, I have a, an MRI every year at the same time. And so, you know, you live in this sort of tension, but there really is no tension, to be honest with you. Eternal perspective is that <laughs> before the foundation of time, he knew me, created me, he fashioned us, and he has plans and purposes. And all my intention is, is to live out those plans and purposes. See, how much of his presence can you get into any environment at any one time? How much of the church can you get to realize the necessity of understanding of how much of the presence can you get into an environment at any one time? And how much of heaven can you see manifest, irrespective of, of what's going on? So my, my thoughts on this is, if you have a diagnosis, go after it specifically. If you're sick and you have sickness in your body, pray for people anyway. Because actually what you're saying is, God is good. It's his will to heal. And I refuse to bow down on my experience to bring God's glory, God's nature down to that level that is hell, <laughs> effectively. It doesn't come from heaven. But I'm going to elevate my thinking. I'm going to elevate my life. I'm going to elevate and live my life according to what he says, the prophetic words, the promises, and we'll see the glory of God manifest in any given situation at any given time. That's the way I deal with it. Awesome. Thank you very much. Do you want to... <laughs> So
say. This lady really glorifies God. That's good, yes. So tell us a little bit how you became a Christian. Um, You're going to have to use your imagination because (laughs) this was when I was 18 years old. (laughs) And I was having a gap year. And um, at the end of the gap year, I had earned enough to take myself to visit my cousin in uh, Toronto, um, in Canada. And um, I was exploring all kinds of stuff, including drugs. Um, And I was a hippie. I said you would have to use your imagination. <laughs> have you got any photos of this? Oh, yeah. I should have got photos. <laughs> and what I discovered was that my cousin had recently come to Christ uh, in the middle of what's now known as historically the Jesus people revival, uh, which was spreading like wildfire all across North America. So my cousin told me that he was off drugs and uh, he'd he'd given his life to Jesus. So had I, I said, because I'd been brought up a good Roman Catholic boy. Um, That was, I was a Baptist later. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, I didn't, you know, in my kind of religious flavor of Catholicism, I had not seen that I needed what Sasha calls a relationship with Jesus. So we set off traveling up to the southern lakes to Lake Huron and we got lost and we pulled up at this beach and there were bagpipes playing. We were looking for directions. Bagpipes are curious in North America. (laughs) So we went towards them and then some kids came up to us with clipboards saying, "Um, excuse me, would you mind just doing a survey? And they were doing something like an evangelism thing. And very quickly, um, my cousin and the guys we were with said, Oh, we're Christians too. Hey, you're not, are you? Come back to our camp. They were part of a summer camp, a Christian summer camp. And that week, I think there were about 109 kids there. And about 102 of them had given their lives to Christ at that point. So um, they said, come back and give you a testimony. I didn't know what a testimony was, but I thought, I'll go along with this. Because I'm a Christian, right? And um, there must have been wisdom on the leaders because they didn't ask us, they didn't ask me to give a testimony. But they did ask us to lead a Bible study. Okay, well, I'd better bone up on this. So (laughs) I got myself a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And I went through it and said the prayer at the end. And I found I'd led myself to Jesus. <laughs> it, was, it was really strange. Because, because <laughs> you know, I didn't, there was no battle or anything, not yet. There was, you know, it was, it was, um, it was I was like a kid playing with faith. Like a kid playing with a telephone. I've explained this to you before, Fiona, like this. And you, a kid plays with a telephone and then somebody's on the other end. Mm. You know, and, and suddenly I'm talking to the living God, to Jesus. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's just no comparison. So that's how I came 
to face. <laughs> Very unconventional, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. So did, did anything change immediately or, or shortly afterwards? Yeah, I mean, I was just on fire for the Lord. And um, first thing, when we got back to civilization, got back to Toronto, I went downtown and bought myself a Bible. And I bought myself uh, an authorized version of the Bible, a King James Version. And uh, it wouldn't be what I'd give a new believer straight away these days. <laughs> but you know, it read like a newspaper. The Holy Spirit just opened it up for me. And you know what else he did? He took all the religion I'd received, all of the Mass, and he brought to life the scriptures that are already in the Mass. It was really powerful. And I went back to the UK uh, thinking, right, this Protestant stuff must be where it's at. And I went my first Sunday back in London. I was in Hammersmith Broadway, and I went to a Methodist church. And um, I guess I must have increased the, con- the congregation by about 20% when I walked in. <laughs> and I must have lowered the average age by about 20 years as well. <laughs> and I thought, this is not what I'd been used to in revival. But fortunately, I plugged into uh, Christians when I went to college. And they, they kind of nurtured me through my baby years. So what changed inside of you? If anything, what it got I, inside. I now understand from Scripture that this bubbling, this washing machine that you called it, Sasha, <laughs> I, I became a new creation. I now understand that I have a body, soul, and spirit, and my spirit had been radically changed. Um, And I gradually began to realize that my soul is a work in progress, my heart and my mind. Um, And it still is. And my body is failing. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, this is the paradox of being a Christ follower. You carry in you this shining light, this... um, What does Paul describe it as? We have this glory in earthen vessels. You know, that's who we are. Um, And our job is to work with the Holy Spirit on this soul transformation, bringing my mind and my emotions into alignment with the reality of heaven and to live from heaven. I mean, if you weren't here this morning, Donna preached a blinder uh, so listen to her recording uh, a podcast she talked not for living not from our circumstances but from the kingdom and that's what I'm learning how to live I'm still a work in progress even at 67 I hope I grow up before I grow old <laughs> <laughs> so as, as you've grown up and through your, you know, your professional work You've written a number of books, because I've read at least one of them. Yeah. And um, I've heard you talk about, if I get the phrase right, um, apologies if I don't, that you dislike busyness, and you have a real passion around that. Could you tell us a bit about that? Well, Mark, I don't dislike busyness. Um, I I think Jesus was busy. Um, When he was 12 years old, he said, Do you not know I need to be about my father's business? What... I am really concerned about is chronic busyness 
Um, if we look at the way God's created us, every system in the human body um, has a stress recovery cycle. Our heart beats, um, our, our daily, our circadian rhythm of falling asleep, such as uh, Fiona and Mark are right now, and uh, <laughs> being awake. Um, our muscle groups stress and recover. That's natural. We have designed work environments where we're stress, stress, stress. We flatline. And the only time you flatline in the natural world is when you're dead. We need to look at this again. It's for good reason that we're taught to work from rest. And so that's part of my passion, to help us rediscover the kingdom in how we work. So if there's people in the room today that are chronically busy, yeah. maybe they're a slave to their job or they're under undue pressure, yeah. many things going on in their life, what, what, what would you, how could you advise them to, to try and overcome that? You first need to know God loves you. He, he loves you. And you probably can't hear that enough because you are chronically busy. Um, but you are not a victim. We are only slaves when we choose to be. This is one of the other things I've discovered, particularly in the last few years of coming to day school. Um, I'm learning how to live as a powerful person who has a choice. And it's often about that powerful word of no. Nobody is holding a gun to our head saying we have to work late. I read a really good account of the former... Minister for uh, or, um, former Minister for Education, I think it was Tessa Jowell, who was in a committee meeting, and they were in the House of Commons, and she was um, working with her committee on dates, and she says, "I won't be able to make that date," and there was silence, and she said because. I've got an important, important appointment. There was silence. What could be more important than their committee? It's with my daughter and it's her birthday. Silence. And she said, I choose to be in the place with the person where my presence is irreplaceable. Jesus was great in teaching about doing and being with the one thing. And afterwards, a couple of female MPs came up to her and thanked her for her courage in saying that. And a male MP said, I wish I had done what you had done years ago. Jesus said to Martha, with great compassion, only one thing is needful. And daily living is the art of knowing what that one thing is. So in your book, the one that I've read, you have loads of different tools around how to manage time. And obviously people could buy your book, obviously. But how, how could you sort of share something practical maybe with people about how they could prioritize their time, a simple way of trying to get hold of a, a kind of chronic busy schedule and maybe yeah. challenging it and... All right, just, just two things. First of all, do what Jesus did, which was he often, despite public demand, 
got away into deserted, lonely places. Get with Abba, get with Father, and talk with him. Hear what his agenda is. And the second is to remember that the word priority was always singular until about 100 years ago. We've turned it into plural. Priority up until the end of the 19th century was always singular from the Latin, a priori. We have been greedy about what we want to achieve and we have turned it into priorities. I come across that a lot in my work with my clients. Only one thing is needful. How do you combine your faith with your work stuff? How does that play out? Um, It's about admitting that everything I do, he is the master, he is the Lord. I think when Sasha talked about the presence, one of the ways it outworks that is there's nothing in our lives that's off limits. Nothing. And I find that if I work in the presence, he is a wonderful counselor. Um, Recently, for example, he's told me to hold off everything except for writing in my work. So I write. And sometimes we have to, to step out in faith. But I I've ha- have enough history with this remarkable God to trust him in that. Yeah. So can you tell us what you're writing about now? Or is that secret at this stage? <laughs> no, no. Um, I'm writing about something that you may have heard from... Um, Rob Schultz, uh, it's the Soul Journal, and it's about the transformative power of writing out conversations with the living God. And I just want to caveat that, it's not for everybody. I have friends, I have, I'm married to a woman who just doesn't get on with that kind of thing. If she wants to meet with the living God, she'll go out for a walk. And I know that applies to some of us in this room. I love my time with Father in front of that blank page. And what comes out of it is something quite remarkable. So that's what my book will be about. Sounds really good. Mm. Not lots of blank pages then. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, it isn't blank for long. So when I've heard people talk about your book, they often talk about the wisdom that's in the book. It's the one I've read. I can't. I do apologise. I can't remember the title of it. Um, but where, where does that wisdom come from? Is that purely from your experience, or is there more to it than that? Or? Well, I, I mentioned about the Bible being like a newspaper when I first read it. I've always read the scriptures. Sometimes I found it tough going, but the logos, the written word of God, is really important. And out of that, I discover the rhema, the spoken word of God. Um, But one of the things I discovered was it's very simple to get wisdom. You ask for it, but you ask for it with faith. And I had a job at one time which was off the Richter scale with stress. And 
my office was on the second floor of a, a block on Snall Dates in Oxford where I worked. And um, it was a really tough job. I got recruited way beyond my competence. And every morning I got that lift up, and it was about 30 seconds. And my prayer was, God, give me courage, wisdom, and strength. And he answered that prayer. And he's given me wisdom, and he's given me encouragement to give to others. Excellent. Yeah. Wonderful. No different. Um, so, probably last question, then we'll come to Normie. Just give you one more, no, one more question. Mm. So, you said you recently moved here 18 months ago. What, what drew you to Eastgate? Why, why did you move in this direction? I think it's my passion, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking with Mark. Um, one of the things that I love about the body of Christ is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And this is more than just one particular congregation. I am absolutely fascinated about what God is doing in the wider ecclesia. Now, we use the word ecclesia deliberately. Last year, Ed Silvoso published a book called Ecclesia. What we read in our Bibles is mostly a mistranslation. When we read church, it's actually the word ecclesia. It means a gathering. An ecclesia need not just be in church, in a church setting such as this, but it's also in the workplace, it's also in healthcare, it's also in the school, in the classroom, it's also in the home. We have a closure all over the place, and I am absolutely fascinated by what the Holy Spirit is doing. And there was a prophecy from Julian Adams over Kim, who was standing over there, at a conference. I think it was towards the end of the first term in my first year. And I was just about getting comfortable with, I think I'm okay with all this weirdness, (laughs) all this manifestation (laughs) stuff. And he started to prophesy over Kim about education. And it was something that carried on that prophecy that wasn't particularly to do with education. I knew that this place, Eastgate, was strategic. This place is to resource other ecclesia, not just nearby, not just in Maidstone, Tunney, wherever, (laughs) but Essex, wider than that, the Faroes, um, but also the Netherlands, France, um, Spain, um, Africa. It's so exciting. I'd like to make a difference before I pop my clocks. I really would. And this is the place to do it. Okay, thank you very much. You already are, Patrick. You already are. Your turn. (laughs) So I first met you in 2015 because a team of about 20 people from Eastgate came to the Faroe Islands. Yes. What what happened to you during that week we were with you? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so so I didn't know these people that came from England or anything. Um, My church, with about 40 people, um, had decided to do a conference with this other church um, and we me at least, I sort of kind of just came along and uh, you guys were doing a uh, fire starters course if you've heard about that 
um, which is all about equipping people and to teach them to understand that they can hear from God and that they're loved by God. Um, and uh, um, yeah, so uh, so I was there, and I remember actually coming into the building, and everyone was on the floor. <laughs> 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 Like, all the people from England were on the floor, they were laughing, and I was just like, okay, what's going on? Um, I really didn't really understand it, but I um, thought, okay, it's fine, <laughs> I'm here. Um, and uh, so we came in, we sat with, at tables, and we had like two people at our table, and people just started teaching and tell, sharing their stories and how God, had, um, how, yeah, who God was for them. And... Um, and you had Alan on your table, didn't you? Our good friend Alan. Yes, I did. Yeah. Alan Cass um, and Donna, actually. You mentioned Donna. Yeah. Um, they were at our table. Um, and we were kind of, I think most of us were just um, young girls around my age. And uh, um, and actually, I'll share what I talked to you about and another thing as well to do with yeah. Alan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had, uh, I think at the time, I, was, I did not have a very good image of myself. Um, and uh, <laughs> and oh. <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so Alan <laughs> um, very quickly kind of became like, almost like the image of God, or God as my father for me when we were there, and. Uh, <laughs> so there was this one thing which was he showed me um, a picture of um, a cat a little cat like a little kitten that was looking into a mirror <laughs> and on the other side of the, like in the mirror there was a big lion and he was like talking about seeing ourselves and how we see ourselves and how God sees us sees us and uh, um that sort of really touched me and, you know, made me think, oh, well, how do I see myself and how does God see me? And, and uh, we went on, like the, the conference went on, and in the next break after this... <laughs> thank you. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I remember I had... Um, <laughs> I had... Um, <laughs> sorry. Oh, yeah, I had, had a message from a friend... And uh, she sent me this little picture of her cat wearing this mane, <laughs> like a just a sort of <laughs> thing around her head. And I just remember thinking, oh, wow, that's amazing. And that's just, uh, like it just taught me how God can speak to us through, you know, just physical things. And, and just um, something that someone had said could just become really real. So, like, Alan had told me this and... And I thought, oh, that's good. And then I get this text message, and it, you know, it just really um, kind of what's that word? Uh, Impacted you? Yeah, yeah. and uh, confirmed. That's confirmed. it. Right. Confirms that that message that God wanted to tell me. And mm. yeah, <laughs> and uh, I think actually at the conference as well, one of the like it was the first time I experienced really. Um, the prophetic and like prophesying and actually hearing from God and knowing that I can, you know, that He speaks to me as well. And um, so it was really, it was a really life-changing um, weekend. <laughs> so, uh, 
How would you say you have changed in terms of how you used to see yourself and mm. the journey that you're on now? Yeah. So I'm still on a journey. <laughs> but I feel like if we look at that image of this kitchen looking into a mirror, <laughs> maybe what I can see at the moment is like, it's like the cat with, <laughs> with this mane around its head. Like, like I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> but it's... I feel like, yeah, I feel like actually as, as well coming to Eastgate and so I've done the school as well. Actually, all of us have done the school, haven't we? Probably all of us. Not you. <laughs> um, um, and like the, f- <laughs> the first, <laughs> the first year of ESSL for me was very much as well. Just being loved and just um, being told like all continually just being confirmed my identity and I was talking to someone else about that actually just how amazing how God um, just gives us exactly what we need and because I, I remember how um, how people were like um, like pretty much all the time at school people would just always come and pray for me they would always come and give me prophetic words and it was just like I just I just felt like it was just all the time, every single day. In a good way. In a really good way, <laughs> yes. No, totally, in a really good way. But it was really confirming in me who I was. And, and then I remember um, a few weeks ago, actually, I sort of thought to myself, oh, this, this doesn't really happen as much anymore. Um, and again, there, you know, God knows what we need. Um, but I remember this one Sunday, and I was sort of feeling like, actually, I'd love, I'd love it if, if, if I did have people come pray for me a bit more um, and then that Sunday I had like four or five people come and pray or prophesy it's just amazing yeah yes yeah, so yeah I feel like I feel like now compared to what was this in 2015 15. yeah four years ago yeah. yeah four years ago I feel like I I um I definitely do see myself more like that lion <laughs> and I've uh, um I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I find it, it's easier for me to, to hear God's truth than it used to be. Yeah. So, so what, so I, I don't know when you, when you decided to, but you obviously after, after that, uh, the team had come in 2015, you, mm-hmm. you decided at some point that you were going to come and join the school here at Eastgate and mm-hmm. move from the Faroe Islands to England. Yeah. So what, how did you decide that? Yeah. So, um, so you guys came in May, I think, and, um, I still had one year left of my sort of high school or A levels equivalent. Um, and, uh, so I did that one year and a few things happened actually in my personal life that kind of changed quite, yeah, there were some things that had happened that weren't so great. Um, and then in the summer, um, I had, uh, oh yeah, no, that's right. I came over to Eastgate to do a conference with Danny, like, well, for a conference with Danny Silk, um, and, uh. Uh, which was quite amazing as well. And then the year after, the following year, um, some other guys came to the Pharaohs again, did the conference again, um, and then later on they sort of came and visited us and stayed with us, and we sort of started building a relationship with, and that was, that was including Alan and Paul Bungay, if people know him. He's half Pharaohese, actually. Um, and... Uh, and they were sort of just saying to me, oh, yeah, you could come and do this school. And I looked it up, and I was like, okay. 
Sounds quite interesting. And I actually, I feel like actually I didn't decide until I was here. <laughs> I, but obviously I had to buy a ticket and everything. But <laughs> So I did. And I was really like, actually, that's another thing. I'm, I'm learning I'm learning to make decisions, <laughs> um, to know that I'm powerful and I can make a decision. Um, and um, so that was a really big thing just to, obviously, to decide to move to another country. And actually I had an experience in the summer right before which was that um, I was cleaning my parents' um, car, and um, I sort of been saying to God, kind of give me a sign, which was how, the way I sort of always asked God was to give me a physical sign. Um, and uh, I was washing their car and just didn't think about anything really. And then I, so like I said, I had, I had been to Eastgate once, and this was the only place I had been in England, um, and I knew that it was Kent, that's all I knew, but I didn't you know, know anything about England or counties or anything at all. <laughs> but I was so again to me washing my parents' car, and uh, um, I was looking for a cloth um, for the windows, and um, so I went to the back, and I sort of didn't really know where to look, at, but I, I found something, and then I saw this yellow box, and it had the letters K-E-N-T on. I was just <laughs> like, oh, what's that? And it just sort of made me think, okay, maybe I should do it. Maybe I should go. Um, and, uh, like, even I remember the guys came up to, in August, and I was still like, I don't know, I don't know. I just really didn't know what to do. But I just, I think I just decided. I just said, okay, I'm just going to go. And I remember my brother said to me just before I left, he's, he just sort of said that if, if you, you know, if you want to come back, just 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 come, you know, if, you, if you're not well and actually, you know, I'm still here <laughs> three years later. Uh... The other thing I remember in 2015 is we, um, at some point in the conference, we started to pray for uh, people in the Pharaohs to receive the Holy Spirit like you'd seen us experience. And your mum was the first person <laughs> to physically uh, respond to the Holy Spirit. And you're the... You're the first fairies person to come to Eastgate. Do you yeah. think there's something about your about your life, your family line, about being the first in some way? I do think so, actually, pioneering. Um, yeah, um, I've been told that often since coming here and before as well. That um, yeah, that I was a pioneer coming to England and coming to do the school and and then you know bringing the back or bringing that around the world. Um, actually, after I noticed, I noticed how people started telling me that, and sort of started thinking back um, in my short life <laughs> um, <laughs> as to if there were other signs of being a pioneer. And actually, I started realizing just like small things, like um, so when I did this the A level equivalent thing, we were my class, my, my year was the first year of doing this new system that they had just started, and then I realized, oh, I was the first year as well in the school to do English as a language um, a year younger than they had done before and it was just like these small just like really normal mundane things that seemed to uh, yeah I, I don't know it's just this, these sort of oh I was the first to do that or I was the first to do this or things like that and so yeah I do I do believe there probably is something on that actually it's quite interesting and you're kind of quite unusual in that you are in your early 20s, Normie. Explain to people that aren't familiar with Faroese culture what most 20-something-year-old girls, what stage of life they would be at. 
in terms of your, your culture? What, what's kind of normal for girls your age, about 22? Oh, okay. Uh, as in to be married and have five kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So actually, it, you don't realise this, but normally it's quite extraordinary and that she is where she is. So after you finish school as well, kind of tell us the journey that you've gone on since since then and how God's kind of spoken to you and what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, after doing school, I sort of felt um, it kind of seemed, seemed like a normal thing to go home to the pharaohs. And actually talking to my parents and other people there, it seemed like, well, of course, you're coming back. But I, I was really in a sort of dilemma about whether or not to stay or come back, go back. And, and I actually, again, there didn't decide until... Well, I decided in the summer that I was going to go back to the Pharaohs. And I came back here in September and was going to pack up for a month and go back to the Pharaohs. And I didn't. I'm still here. <laughs> um, so I, when I came back, I sort of had this strong feeling that I was supposed to stay a bit longer. And, and uh, I ended up doing that and ended up actually um, helping with, to start up the worship school with Laura over here. Pioneering. Pioneering, Absolutely. yeah. Pioneering. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so actually, the other day, um, well, yeah, so now I have, I might just say that, and now I've decided to go to the Pharaohs, actually, in May, um, which is um, just a very new decision. And actually, the other day, I was talking to someone, and I sort of felt like... Um, I think on the journey of making decisions, for me, this is quite big, <laughs> um, that, uh, what was I going to say? That, yeah, like, I felt, I feel like, yeah, so you were talking about, yeah, um, that for me to have um, made the decision to stay after having finished the school, that was the reason that I was here, has actually made me really feel, um, a bit more sort of strong in myself and in, in knowing who I am that I I decided to do this and I'm not just here because either it's the church that my parent went to or I'm doing the school um, and God is really yeah he's been doing things from in me just the last few months that I feel like maybe I even have waited for years <laughs> And I feel like you're going to pioneer amazing stuff in worship in your part of the world, normally as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you can gather yourself together, <laughs> the lovely Normie is going to sing for us. So I'm going to sing a song that's called Peace for you. Um, um, but um, something, yeah. So if, if I think about peace, it's um, I don't always feel peaceful, <laughs> but I feel like there's something powerful in in declaring it as well. So if you feel restless tonight, or you feel like you don't have peace, then just receive it and just in your like in inside just. Um, just claim it.
So that concludes our evening with you. Um, so just like to thank our guests, Normie, Sasha and Patrick. Woo!